Welcome to The Readout, a new conversation series with State Department spokesperson Heather Nauert. This discussion is with Deputy Secretary of State John Sullivan. Well, it is a real honor to have our Deputy Secretary John Sullivan join us for The Readout. And so I wanted to talk with you about your most recent trip to Europe got a lot of good attention for the work that you were doing. Uh, tell us a little bit about some of your stops. Uh, first off, you went to Germany. I did. For the Munich Security Conference. Uh, tell us about that. The first stop, as you mentioned, was in Germany, uh, a very large conference in Munich called the Munich Security Conference. It's been going on for almost 70 years at this point, 60 years. Uh, it's grown in a quite a collection of uh, diplomats, uh, statesmen, leaders, NGOs that talk about security issues of uh, primarily of European focus but now more of a global conference. Um, I had a number of bilateral meetings while I was in Munich both with uh, European officials but also I met with uh, officials from China, Sudan, uh, but I went to the conference, I participated in a panel discussion on our nuclear posture review mm -hmm. with uh, representatives from Russia, China, uh, South Korea, and Estonia. And that panel, my principal focus on that panel was to discuss our nuclear strategy, which has a number of common features that have been part of U.S. Uh, policy for decades commitment to nuclear non-proliferation, to arms control, to our moratorium on nuclear testing, uh, and our commitment to deterrence. And it was a lively discussion, uh, principally because our nuclear strategy, the Nuclear Posture Review, describes a new security environment that the United States faces with uh, increasing threats from, among others, North Korea and Iran more traditional threats that uh, continue from Russia and now China. So the security environment has changed since our last nuclear posture review in 2010. And my job was to explain that new security, post new security environment that we face, how our nuclear posture review uh, reflects our response to that, but to reaffirm our commitments to all those basic values that we've committed to as Americans for decades, as I say, non-proliferation, arms control, moratorium on arms testing. So that was Munich. Mm -hmm. and Any other issues that came up of, of great concern to our European partners and allies? Um, we talked a lot about uh, more specific issues. For example, uh, the Germans are very, con uh, very in, uh, focused on their uh, the ongoing discussions to form a new government. Mm. Chancellor Merkel's discussions uh, to form a grand coalition. Uh, we spoke with uh, German government officials about that. Um, I spoke with uh, Archbishop Gallagher mm -hmm. from the Vatican mm. about. Uh, issues of concern to the Vatican, their discussions with the People's Republic of China, but the Catholic Church in China. Probably human rights human issues, rights religious issues, freedom. Religious freedom and how, uh, how the Vatican will interact with the Chinese government and the Chinese Catholic Church mm. 
in, uh, in the PRC. So a number of different uh, individuals that I was able to get time with to speak with while I was there in Munich, all of whom had come for this security conference. So they're all gathered in one place and it's an opportunity to have conversations with all these different officials. It sounds like uh, certainly time well spent. Yes, indeed. I, I know from Munich you went on to Italy where you had um, some <clears throat> bilateral meetings with Italian officials and you also spoke uh, before some other groups there? I did, and in Italy, again, uh, the Italians have elections coming up on March 4th. Mm. Uh, talking to uh, Italian uh, civic leaders about uh, their views on the election, what they think will, uh, will happen. Meetings with the Italian government uh, officials to talk about issues of mutual interest, including migration from mm. Libya. Uh, Italians have played a leading role in trying to prevent, stop the dangerous migration from uh, from Libya, where we've seen people uh, people drown, uh, adults, children drown, and trying to make the trek from Libya to mm -hmm. uh, to Italy and, and southern Europe. Uh, so we talked about about that. We talked about uh, Ukraine, which was the next stop on my trip in uh, in Europe. I went to Kiev. But we talked to uh, the Italian government about the need for uh, con uh, continuation of sanctions on Russia over their intervention in eastern Ukraine hmm. and annexation of Crimea. And, and so they share our concerns with regard to that. Do they, do they have sanctions of their own? The EU does, and as part of the EU, we were, uh, I was discussing with them the need for the EU to continue their sanctions on, uh, on, on Russia over uh, Ukraine, and in particular eastern Ukraine and Crimea. In general, I was there to reaffirm the U.S. commitment to the transatlantic alliance, to NATO, uh, to our EU partners and allies. And it was a the fact that, uh, I should have mentioned this at the outset, I think it was among the largest delegations the U.S. has ever sent to the Munich Security Conference. Again, a reaffirmation of US, the U.S.'s commitment to our NATO allies, to our EU partners uh, and allies. Uh, Secretary Mattis was there, Director Pompeo, myself, a number of, uh, of senators and, uh, and representatives, very large U.S. presence. So in my trip to Italy, it was again to reaffirm our commitment both to our bilateral relationship with, uh, with Italy and with, uh, with NATO and the EU. I hope you got some good food along the way, though, too. There was good food. I mean, hard to not say that about, about yes. Italy, and that's okay. <laughs> well, so from there, then you went to Ukraine. Ukraine. And uh, um, it was really an important relationship for the United two States. Two messages, yeah. two themes in Ukraine. Support for Ukraine in resisting Russian aggression mm -hmm. in eastern Ukraine and our, uh, our non-acquiescence, our opposition and support for Ukraine in resisting Russia's annexation of Crimea, mm -hmm. one theme. Second theme was assisting Ukraine, providing support to Ukraine in uh, the Ukrainian people's and government's effort to reform the government, to, uh, to eliminate corruption, mm -hmm. to shed the shackles that have, have really held back uh, Ukrainian people, the Ukrainian economy that they inherited from decades of uh, of life under the uh, under the Soviet uh, Soviet system, and then in the in the uh, the decades since the the fall of the Berlin Wall, 
uh, the corruption that still lingers. Can, in we, can we talk about that a little bit? Sure. I, that was one of your primary messages, and they've been making progress. And the United States always uh, encourages countries to do more on that front, to encourage businesses to come in uh, and to be able to invest, but to have good and free societies. Uh, they've made some progress in recent years. Um, they have. They've made a lot of progress in restructuring their government and restructuring their economy. Uh, but there's more to do, mm -hmm. and we want to help. Mm -hmm. They have uh, adopted a new uh, investigative unit to investigate corruption and an independent prosecutor's office to prosecute uh, corruption cases. What they need now is a corruption court system, which their, uh, their legislature is considering. I was there to advocate for their adoption of this uh, anti-corruption court mm -hmm. as part of yet another step in their uh, their effort to reform the government and fight corruption. And one of the things you also talked about was uh, Ukraine's territorial integrity. Yes. And fighting Russian aggression. And you put out some pretty strong uh, messages right. and, and statements on that. Uh, tell me about why you're passionate about that, why you feel so strongly about that. Well, y Ukraine uh, faces a difficult transformation in reforming itself, in uh, fighting corruption, reforming its institutions. That process, which we support, is made doubly difficult, really difficult, by the external aggression they threat face from Russia uh, and Russian proxies in eastern Ukraine and the Donbass, who are, uh, it's a daily uh, a drumbeat of violence in eastern Ukraine, Ukrainian soldiers killed and, and wounded. Uh, plus civilians the, as civilians well. Civilians as and well, of course. And we've seen those, those uh, the images. monitors. Yes. Uh, uh, and plus the Russian annexation of Crimea. Mm -hmm. So uh, beyond that, it's really a hybrid effort by, uh, by the Russians because they are, it's not merely uh, a military uh, effort, but a... Uh, cyber effort as well. We announced uh, shortly before I arrived in Ukraine the attribution of this uh, cyber attack that started in Ukraine called NotPetya, yeah. which started in Ukraine but spread around the world it and caused to the UK, billion, billions of dollars in damage. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was focused originally in Ukraine and our sense is that Russian actors use, use Ukraine as a laboratory for these types of malign activities. So I was there to stand with the Ukrainians in resisting this aggression uh, and, to and to offer our support uh, in any way we can in their efforts to reform their government. Yeah, in standing with the Ukrainians, you also went to a memorial for I the did. Heavenly Hundred. It was 100. very moving, yes. Uh, tell us about that. Well, it was very moving to see the uh, both the Memorial for those who had had been been killed during uh, during the uh, the so-called revolution of dignity at Maidan Square, uh, young people who were uh, uh, killed by Ukrainian uh, police and ar armed forces, and there's a second memorial with an even larger number of uh, Ukrainians who uh, were memorialized there who've lost their lives in the fighting in eastern Ukraine. Mm. Uh, pictures of all the soldiers who have been killed in uh, in eastern Ukraine. So it's very moving to see that it's uh, there are still fresh tributes brought every day, candles, flowers, and so forth from family members who lost uh, lost their loved ones in the the original uh, 
uh, revolution in Maidan Square uh, and then in the violence that's continued in, in eastern Ukraine. That means so much to uh, those countries for you to pay your respects in that kind of way, uh, to learn more not only about what that country has uh, has gone through, but to, to personally, as a face of the U.S. government, go out there and say, I value you, I value your sacrifices, and here I am. Yeah. It's important for, uh, particularly for Americans, to come and stand with allies and partners uh, in Europe, and particularly in Kyiv, uh, who and are uh, the, the Ukrainians and the men and women in the Ukrainian government are, are under such pressure mm -hmm. for uh, to achieve results for their people, but to do so while they also face the threat of aggression from the East, from, mm -hmm. from their neighbor, Russia. So it makes it doubly difficult for them. And, and I think as, as regular Americans, we often don't appreciate just how much sometimes our thanks, our presence just showing up means to those countries. Absolutely. I know our, many of our Foreign Service officer colleagues uh, would certainly know that, but for regular folks around America, sure. it's, it's, um, I think it's something they don't always recognize. Absolutely. So um, thank you for going there and doing that, certainly. Sure. Uh, then you went on to Latvia. Riga, Latvia. Yeah. Uh, beautiful. A, a beautiful, uh, beautiful weather. The sun was shining. Uh, it was chilly. It was uh, it was cold, uh, but uh, it was uh, it was a it was a great visit uh, to stand with uh, the Latvians who also face uh, a threat on their eastern border, which they see every day from uh, from Russia. Uh, it was a uh, it was a, a an opportunity for us to reaffirm the commitment of NATO to the defense of Latvia, our Article 5 obligations for, uh, for defense of, uh, of NATO member, member countries, reaffirming that for them. Uh, there was also, while I was there, uh, discussions about uh, uh, certain actions that were taken by the Department of the Treasury against a Latvian bank. Oh, that that's principally that made had, big news here. While right, away. exactly. Yeah. And uh, I was able to uh, have discussions with senior Latvian government officials, reaffirm our partnership with them, to work with them to address concerns about money laundering and the strength of their financial system. So it was uh, it was a good opportunity for me to uh, to share those. Uh, share those thoughts with uh, with senior Latvian government officials. And then after that you went on to Brussels, Brussels, right? Brussels for, uh, it was a, a conference that was hosted by the EU, but the focus was on the Sahel uh, and the G5 Sahel Force, which has been uh, created uh, by the uh, these five Sahel nations to address terrorism concerns with uh, uh, ISIS and uh, other terrorist organizations that threaten uh, that region. And it's a very, uh, it was a, uh, a remarkable collection of countries that came, not only the, uh, the members of the EU, but the United States was there, countries from around the world, uh, united in support of the G5 countries that are uh, undertaking with the support of the United States, the EU, France has played a leading role in this uh, in this uh, in this area as well, to uh, support them as they work to defend their territorial integrity, uh, protect their countries, to help stop the flow of migrants through the Sahel to places like Libya, where they would uh, continue on to to southern Europe in a dangerous transit across the Mediterranean, and 
trying to address not just the security threats, but also the underlying, underlying economic and social uh, forces that drive people to want to take those risks to cross, leave their homeland, cross the Mediterranean to try to get to a better life, try to address those, uh, those concerns uh, in the Sahel. That's certainly so there a lot. Were, there was a conference yeah. there, uh, and it was, uh, was hosted by the, uh, by the EU, but there were a lot of other countries in addition to EU member countries that was there, and I was honored to represent the United States. Mm. How did you find your reception overall? All these places, you went to a lot of places in just a few days. You must be exhausted, but the overall reception. Well, Europeans, uh, European allies and partners uh, welcome reaffirmation from the United States of the value of our relationship. And that was the principal thrust of my, my visit, was to reaffirm the importance of that transatlantic relationship. And it was a very receptive audience. They really uh, particularly want to feel that embrace mm -hmm. from the United States. And that's certainly the case in Kiev and Riga, to know that the United States is standing with them when they face such, uh, such external threats, in addition to internal problems which they need to solve. Well, you've now been coming up on your, your time here at the State Department almost a year now, a year in May. A year in May, a year. Right, and, and what have you, what has surprised you about being here? I was asked that question. I, I, I do town halls at uh, every embassy I visit, and uh, somebody asked me that question. And what, what has surprised me about the State Department, most surprised me, what I hadn't expected was how small in some ways the State Department is, because when you think about the department... Yeah, 75,000 people. <laughs> 75,000 people in embassies and consulates spread around the world. 50,000 are locally employed staff mm -hmm. at our embassies mm -hmm. and consulates around the world. It's really 25,000 people, 14,000 civil service, 11,000... Uh, 14,000 uh, foreign service, 11,000 civil service. This is my th uh, fourth cabinet department, and I've worked at the Justice Department, Defense Department and Commerce Department, each of which is much bigger than 25,000 people. Mm. And in addition, what I've found is everyone here, it, it, there's such a sense of, it's almost like a small town. Everyone knows one another. Mm. People who have served in, I was, I served with so-and-so in Cairo, and remember you and I were, were, were in Roommates in Baghdad. I get that one a in lot. Baghdad. Yeah. <laughs> it really is a, uh, a small town tight-knit, mm -hmm. in some ways, community, which sounds odd to say about an enormous cabinet department, but I do get that sense that people know one another and care for each other, particularly when you've been uh, been abroad and served in, uh, whether it's a hardship post, a, a post where there's, there's high threat, or uh, just being abroad as Americans, uh, planting the flag, working at our embassy, uh, and living there for two or three years, or one year if it's uh, a more difficult post, uh, really creates very tight bonds. And uh, so it, it, being exposed to that, uh, that culture, which I had some familiarity with, I've had relatives who've served in the, uh, in the Foreign Service, but to see it up close has been, uh, been really inspiring. Well, um, you have an incredible family history with your uncle who had served in, did. in Iran, mm -hmm. uh, also another family member of yours in Cuba who was a, a prisoner of right. Castro. This is, has to be the perfect spot for you, and we're sure lucky to have you. Well, I'm delighted to be here. Yeah. Um, sir, I'd love to talk with you about, about your history and what brought
brought you uh, to be, becoming a person who wants to serve mm -hmm. his country and four cabinet posts. Maybe we can do that another time. Absolutely. If you'd be willing to come back. I would. Uh, uh, Deputy Secretary Sullivan, it's uh, really nice to have you here. And Great. thank you for your time. Great. So thank you. Thanks, Heather. Thanks. You are listening to The Readout, a new conversation series with State Department spokesperson Heather Nauert. That was a discussion with Deputy Secretary of State John Sullivan. Join us next time.